Writers, if you are paying attention at all, you've heard from Zibby Owens in the past two years. She is the host of the Moms Don't Have Time to Read podcast and the creator of Zibby Media, which at this point includes a magazine, a publishing house that's having a great month with, among other books, The Last Love Note, which I, this is KJ, highly recommend. It's totally a delight. And an LA-based bookstore. In 2022, Jess talked with Zibby about how she launched her literary life. And as that life gets bigger and bigger, we thought it was time to share her story again. So enjoy this interview with Zibby Owens from 2022. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone. I don't remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Okay. Hey, I'm KJ Delantonia, and this is Hashtag Am Writing, the podcast about writing all the things, short things, long things, pitches, proposals. This is the podcast about sitting down and getting your work done. And I'm Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and my newest book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence. And you can find my work at the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and Airmail, where I get to review books every now and then. I am KJ Delantonia, the author of the novel The Chicken Sisters, the forthcoming novel, which I'm so excited to be able to finally really talk about, uh, In Her Boots, and the nonfiction book How to Be a Happier Parent. I am the former lead editor and writer of the Motherload blog at the New York Times, where I really, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call myself a contributor anymore, <laughs> anywhere, even though there are no police for that. There you and go. And you can really call yourself whatever you want, because at the moment, totally focused on, um, on writing book three. All right, and we have a guest today. I am delighted to welcome Zibby Owens. Zibby, say hi, and then I will introduce you. Hi. <laughs> well done. We can, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yes. All right. So, listeners, Zibby Owens, who you have probably heard of, is the host of the Moms Don't Have Time to Read podcast. It is a daily podcast featuring interviews with authors with over 900 episodes. She's also a bookstagrammer with 16,000 followers, the host of a second podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex. The editor of two anthologies, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids, which I contributed to. And she's also now the CEO of Zibby Books, a new publishing home for fiction and memoir. She is a regular contributor to Good Morning America. She's been called America's top bookfluencer, and she has two books coming soon. Princess Charming, a picture book, and Booked, a memoir. There's a reason I'm going on and on and on about this, people. Stay with me. She's also got four kids, and they are kid-sized. Elementary and middle school aged, not a bunch of independent high schoolers roaming around like Jess and I have. (laughs) But, but, this is the reason Zibby is here. Five years ago, except for the mom part, Zibby was none of those things. No one reading Zibby's bio would have said any one of those, and that's why I asked her here. She has built, over the past few years, a massive literary life, a community, a reputation, and I want to go back to the beginning and talk about what it took to get there. Um, So I guess I'll just keep talking. This is the me me podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. (laughs) 
we are really excited about it and um, we have questions. So first, uh, just just to, to, to own it, you have help with the kids, right? I mean, we do too or did when we needed it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, it's, this is not, you are not the CEO of this business and the, running this podcast between pickups and nap time. I do. I my kids do not nap anymore. They, I know <laughs> they barely even sleep. But uh, I do go to drop. I do go to pickups and drop offs every day. That's like one hard and fast rule I have. Um, however, I am divorced and remarried, so I don't have my kids every other weekend for a long weekend, which that is, is true. part of why I can accomplish all that I do. And I have amazing help with my kids, including one nanny who started when I was pregnant with my twins, who are now fourteen and a half. So. I have the person that helps me with my kids has been with us for that long. Uh, well, actually, my kid is 17 now, so I've got you beat by a couple of years. But isn't I mean, I, I love that. We like to, um, you know, a lot of mom writers just sort of, especially parenting writers, they kind of just brush off the help with the kids piece. I do not brush it off. I am so grateful. I am very very um, appreciative and know that I could never do this without it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, uh, the other piece that I just want to own is that you weren't trying to earn a living. Uh, everybody, listeners, Zibby's dad's a famous money guy, but we're not. <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about. You can look it up if you're interested. But the thing is, and the reason I really wanted to talk is you can't just wake up one morning and say, I would like to be America's biggest blue bookfluencer. Whip out an Amex card and make that happen. You can't be even a Kardashian and wake up and say, hey, assistant, I've decided that what I would like to do is book stuff. So could you, you know, get on that? And it just, you, this takes work and desire and passion. So that is the first question that I finally want to ask you. I, I know that you started the podcast kind of on a whim. I've read that and I do want to hear about it. But what I really want to know is when did you first realize that this was your thing? Well, books have always been my thing. I have been a book lover and sort of proselytizer, and you know, I've been the one everybody comes to for recommendations my whole life. I've also been writing my whole life from the time I was nine when my grandfather published this tiny little miniature book of my essays, uh, which I have right here. Oh, my okay. gosh. I know. It's so cute. Uh, <laughs> so I've really been writing forever. It's the way I make sense of the world and the way I make sense of myself in the world. So that is nothing new. I did not set out to be a bookstagrammer or a podcaster at all. That was not – this whole thing <laughs> – this whole thing has been one big accident. <laughs> no, I, I that wasn't the intention at first. However, as things have grown, I've been – able to identify where to go next and what to try mm -hmm. and what I want to do. But this was never the goal. My goal was always to be a writer. I love to write. I wanted to be an author. And I realized you can't just like go to college and be an author and that's your job right there. You have to go do like a million other things. So the path to getting here has been very windy. I've done all different types of jobs. Yes, I've had four kids. I'm very grateful to them. And no, I never sat down and, and said, I want this to just happen. And that's not the way I do anything. I, I work really hard at everything, whether it's college or my marketing jobs beforehand or running a crumb cake business, which I did just before this to help my my husband's family. So yes, I came to it as a writer and not as wanting to be any sort of influencer. 
So what you were really looking for, it sounds like, is to sort of join the community of writers. Yeah, I wanted to join the community of writers. I wanted to like have a book on on a bookshelf. That was my mm-hmm. ultimate dream. I that's all I wanted from the time I was a little girl. <laughs> well, how did you get sort of um, uh, sidelined off into talking to authors instead of becoming one? And not to say that I mean you you have also become one. I don't but but no. What I, year was it? What year did all this start? It started in March of 2018, and what happened really was when I was in the weeds with all the kids for all those years, uh, I did not write or read as much as I usually did, and I missed it. And when I got divorced, I suddenly had these pockets of time, and I could go back to reading. And, you know, with a book, you're never lonely. It's all that, you know, I finally could do the things that moms don't have time to do. So I started reading a ton, even though I had always, I mean, I was the one, like, I would pump and have a book on the pump. I mean, I always read, but not aggressively (laughs) the way I do now. And I started collecting a ton of essays that I would write on the weekends off. And I was publishing them in all sorts of different places. And one night, my husband said, you should really just write a book of essays. And I said, ugh, moms don't have time to read books. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. So I decided, well, let me try to sell this as a book. Maybe this collection of essays would work. But as anyone in the publishing industry knows, often people tell you that what you have, the ideas you have are not going to work. So, you know, essays don't sell and you don't have a platform and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I've been writing for magazines since I was 14. Nah, like irrelevant, doesn't matter. So I talked to a bunch of friends who were in the industry and some agents and people to get advice on where to go from here now that I was on sort of a writing renaissance moment in my life. And one friend, Sarah Mlinovsky, who is a middle grade writer, said, you know, you should really have a podcast. And I was like, what's a, like, why? What's a podcast? What would I do? And I went home and I listened to lots of different podcasts and tried to figure out why would I have a podcast? And if I had one, what would it be about? So one thing I love to do is send articles to people. Like I'm always ripping, still ripping. Now I'm posting them on Instagram, but ripping out articles daily in actual newspapers or forwarding articles or sharing book ideas. And I thought, well, maybe for all my busy friends who I keep forwarding these articles to and they don't have time to read them, what if I read them to my friends and then they could just listen to them on the go? So I actually started the podcast by reading one of my own essays, which was called A Mother's Right to Sanity, which I had posted on HuffPost. It had gotten moved to like the front page and had 65,000 views by the end of the day, something crazy. So I started with that. And then I realized that my original goal of reading these things was illegal, (laughs) that I couldn't just read other people's work and other people's books. Or even your work, depending on where you Yeah, depending on where it came from. Yeah. So... I thought, well, I guess I could try to talk to authors. And at the time, I knew maybe three, four authors. I was like, well, I'll just start with them. I'll just see if I like it. I'll see how it goes. And that's what I did. I did my first interview sitting right here with Lee Carpenter, who was a classmate of mine at business school and also a novelist. And I got to know her through that interview, as I'm sure you both find when you're interviewing people, in a whole new way, even though we'd been friends for like a decade at that point. I could sit and listen uninterrupted, and just go deep. And I loved it. And from that first podcast, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is amazing. It's everything. I was a psychology major. I wanted to be a psychologist for a long time. I wanted to be in, I loved brands and marketing. I was like, I'll build a brand around these conversations 
about books and but it's really about people and their lives and I'm you know I'm I'm the person that like the the air conditioner guy comes over and next thing you know we're talking about his wife's IVF and you know I'm giving like I'm just that type of person. I'm really curious about people and I always have been and I love finding out stuff about people. I think people trust me cuz they can tell I'm really interested cuz I really really am and I get very excited. So that's really how it started. It's pretty rare. I love that. I just want to oh, – I'm going to let Jess ask her question, but I want to flag for everyone that in 2018, somebody looked at you and said, you don't have a platform. That was, what, three years ago? So I, I just – I think that's worth noting because now you have a small platform or a large one, depending – yeah. All right. It's a large one. Jess, sorry. Well, no. It's I, It was funny because I there are very few people who come to do work on the house, whether it's like a plumber comes to rescue me from myself or someone comes to help with something else that they don't leave here with a book in their hands. <laughs> because like <laughs> there are just certain books that if I really, really love them and I think they're applicable, they'll, they'll a lot of people will like them. I tend to buy multiple copies. And so, you know, like if I'm talking to someone who's working on the plumbing and I find out that they have kids, I'm like, oh, wait, I have this book that I think you'd really like. Um, um, so I love that about you. And and also, we get questions all the time in the AmWriting Facebook group about platform and about how we build platform. I mean, it's kind of a constant thing. And, you know, it's really easy to get focused on, you know, how difficult it's going to be to get there that you don't you don't get a chance to sort of focus on okay well where do I start and that's why I think this this conversation is really valuable and it does start with that first conversation with a writer and doing a little bit of that um, just putting yourself in and thinking of yourself as a literary person living a literary life or a book person living a book life and then going forward from there so I, I do love that story of just trying to dive in. Maybe we should call it a bookish life. <laughs> I like that. More, um, I like that. More more today. So um, how, so you had sort of enough guests potentially for, you know, a month's worth of podcasts, and then you had to start fishing around. Um, I would love to hear about how you sort of managed to start getting some of those first guests. Sure. Well, as luck would have it, my husband's dear friend from the tennis world was on FaceTime with Kyle and I happened to overhear that he had been seated next to Andre Agassi on a flight recently and I walked over to the phone and Murphy is our is my husband's friend who was a French Open champion in his own right and by the way is writing his own book but anyway I was like Murphy I was like do you think there's any way in the world Andre Agassi would be on my podcast because his book Open is probably in my top 10 favorite books of all time and he was like, I don't know, I can ask. And Murphy's like the most outgoing, like amazing guy ever. And he asked and Andre Agassi said yes. I think because he loved Murphy so much and their relationship. And I was like, wow. So that was my second, maybe third, I think second podcast. So that made it much easier for me to get guests because I could say, I have a new podcast and my guests so far have been Andre Agassi and Lee Carpenter. And people are like, <laughs> oh, okay. So that helped. Um, I really did a lot of word of mouth in the beginning. I started telling people slowly that I had just started doing this author interview podcast. And in, here in New York, most people said, oh, I know an author. <laughs> like, yeah. Right? I have a friend. I have somebody who's written a book. Even in my preschool class, just takes – I was it, everything was like one step removed. I have mm -hmm. a friend who has an author friend. And that's how it got – it really got started. And soon the publicists got word of my new podcast and started sending me – pitches and I had a couple like trusted uh, 
publicist who I, I feel like forever indebted to because they would send me all, all this stuff in the beginning. <laughs> I was like, great. Yes, I will do this. Uh, I have to say regarding publicists, um, we've talked about this, I think once in the past, is that if there's any message I can send to authors, it is be nice to publicists. Be nice to publicists. Send, th send thank you notes. Return their emails. Um, thank them for thinking of you. Because publicists move around a lot and you never know when you're going to be, you know, a publicist that's over at some other publishing house may come over to yours and vice versa. And yeah, be nice to publicists. They are fantastic at what they do and they're an essential part of the whole picture of getting interviews and then maybe even getting publicity someday for your own book. So get, having um, having famous guests is wonderful and, and we have had a couple and, and it's been great. But one thing that we observed is that um, they don't necessarily bring in readers or listeners. I always say readers, but really um, listeners. And so I would love to hear sort of about the, the that side of it. Did you, did you try to get listeners or did you sort of let it happen uh, naturally and then at some point maybe try to amp it up? How, how did that piece of it go? Yeah, I mean, obviously, at the beginning, there were no listeners because there wasn't yes, even a show. Know. Yes, uh, <laughs> And it took a while to get off the ground. I started looking into what are their podcast marketing firms. I tested a few of those out to see if that would help me. I tested, um, you know, partnering with different newsletters or could I take an ad or should I take a Facebook ad? And I mean, at the beginning, I was not even on Facebook or Instagram. So I had to start my own accounts and learn how to use all of that. Um, I got pretty de depressed at some points because I was like, I guess this is just not going to take off after like 82 people would listen to a podcast. But then I said to myself- so We're talking months, right? Or yeah, even maybe- no, for a I while. Because I remember, uh, you know, I was actually on the podcast, your podcast in I think the fall of 2018. And, and I don't, I don't remember it as being as, it wasn't nearly as big as it now. I was just, it was- one of a list of podcasts that people who were on who had written parenting books did. Well, um, so yes, I it mean, it took a while, right? It took a while, but I didn't just sit around and wait. Uh, I started branching out really quickly into other ways, and not. This is what I mean about identifying sort of the next opportunity. So I quickly started having mm -hmm. these author salons in my house. And I thought, great, well, this is going to be fun. Everything just seems fun. And if it helps, great. Because even with the listenership, I was like, even if nobody listens, I love what I'm doing. So I'm not going to stop. Okay, great. It's never going to grow. Fine. But I don't. I didn't really believe that. I just couldn't figure out the way. So yeah, so I started doing a lot of downstairs in my living room I would just invite everybody I knew in New York all the school moms and all I've lived here my whole life it's like you know a small world up here and I would invite everybody and have an author and interview an author in public in front of everybody about their book and sell their book and then I started these book fairs because I was like oh this would be so fun if I had a book fair so I did a book fair for the first six months of the podcast and I had every book that I had on the show and I invited every author because I really always had this instinct and desire to unite all the authors, right? They should meet each other. Like, I'm not I, I'm not good at setting people up on dates, but I'm good at, like, connecting people with similar interests. Like, you guys should talk. You guys should talk. And even the readers. My friends were like, I loved this book. And I'm like, oh, you have to meet this author. You guys could talk about it. So I started doing these big book fairs. 
and I had a bookstore come in and sell all the books and everyone's like, wow, look at what you're doing here. You're doing something differently and you're selling all these books. So that was another way that I I built things offline that ended up helping with the podcast. Uh, But in-person connections has always helped me get back to this (laughs) <laughs> you know, this way. Uh, and of course, then every author who was on, uh, you know, I would ask, you know, if you have a friend or something. Actually, I wasn't as good as that as I should have been, but I did ask that a handful of times or they would recommend me to friends. Your point about the publicist is great. Nobody told me to be nice to publicists. I'm just like always nice to people. Like, I, I, and, and I just couldn't imagine that they would send me a pitch and I wouldn't evaluate it and write them back. So I still write, write back every publicist pitch that I get. It takes me a while sometimes, but I do it and I evaluate every single one because that's important. Anyway, so I started doing the in-person events and that helped. And then people would come on the show and say, oh, well, do you want to interview me at Barnes & Noble? And I was like, yes, yes, I do want to interview you at Barnes & Noble. And little by little, I just was like sprinkling seeds of this brand everywhere. And I think the other thing I did from the start is because I have a background in branding and marketing is I made this a brand from day one. So I had a logo. I had a tagline or whatever. Did I have a tagline? I had it all like all the messaging and branding was consistent. I made a little two-sheet handout to send every guest. I sent a thank you. I did like I, I just made it very uh brand guideline-esque the way I did at work prior to this whole thing. And I think that was important because, you know, you have to take what you're doing seriously. And I, I did. I treated it like a brand. And now the brand has grown. But that's how it started. I have to say some of those author salons are some of the very, the very favorite events that I've ever done. And that comes from people sort of um, – watching where authors are going. This is something that really anyone can do. If you know that an author is going to be coming to your town for another event, why not just ask if they'll do an extra one and say, you know, I'm willing to purchase, you know, some books or I'm willing to have someone there to sell. And those smaller intimate events, um, I love them. They have been some of my favorite events. Absolutely. So what does your day look like? What kind of, because I know that you are also still writing a lot and you're interviewing a lot. So how do you structure your time to, to get the things done that are most important to you? What is the thing that is like the number one? It varies on, it varies by the minute and what is the most deadline pressing. Uh, this weekend, I, I had to stop this weekend I had planned to read a whole handful of submissions for Zibby Books. And then I had to do a big edit for my own memoir, which is coming out in July. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just have to stop that and do that after. So with, just like with any work, things come up and you have to take care of them. Uh, but I am super conscious of what I am doing at all times. So I am never just browsing what – like if I need a dress for an event – I am going to spend 15 minutes online, buy the dress, get off, right? I'm not going to like I, – I have to use my time really efficiently, mm-hmm. especially during the times I have my kids. <laughs> um, so every day honestly looks different. I wake up super, super early. My kids wake up really early. So by 5, I'm usually out of bed and doing something. And I usually start the day with some sort of Instagram post, which, by the way, I believe is how I write every day. I know it's not always this beautiful essay or anything, but – it's my habit. It's something that I do in the mornings, even if it's just a little something. I reflect on the day before and I post a little something and that gets me going. And 
Yeah. And then it's craziness of school. I mean, do you really want to know that, you know, so making lunch and, and drop <laughs> off and, you know, the craziness. And then my schedule between nine and three is insane. It's just every day it's insane. I almost like have to you know, buckle my seatbelt and emotionally prepare because I do like podcast after podcast after podcast after meeting after this, after that, after that team this team that it's a lot it's like nonstop, and then I go pick up my kids and then I try to figure out the day and read at night and I don't know so but to to get the words done for the memoir and the picture book that has to have taken some blocks of time where did you where do you like to pull those out of the magic box of extra time I know but you know but most of us don't have access to the, the magic box Again, and I, I don't mean to keep talking about this, um, and I'm not trying to recommend divorce, but, um, you know, I do have... You wouldn't be the first. I do I do have these weekends, which I find absolutely essential because I drop my kids Thursdays at 6 and I get them back Tuesdays, and I can get a lot done on those days, even if I'm hanging out with my new husband, right? We can... I can... I, I do things very quickly, and I read quickly, and I write quickly, and whatever. So the memoir, I mostly wrote... In the mornings, my husband sleeps a lot later than I do and stays up a lot later. So if I worked from five to ten, I got five hours of work done by the time mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time he was having coffee. Um, so yeah, I, I picked blocks. Usually, I, it usually all comes out. Of, <laughs> this sounds so terrible. It all comes out of his time. Is <laughs> where I've been taking out most of my work stuff and writing stuff. Um, but now he's really busy working too, so it's all fine. But <laughs> and. When you um, when you sit down to write, what do you like? I don't know. What do you like it? What do you like it to look like? Like what um, what feeds your productivity in terms of getting some words into the laptop? Um, or do you write on a page? I don't know. I write on the laptop. I my my one thing I don't like to do is write right here where I do the rest of my work. That's I do it sometimes like if I have a quick article or I'm recommending books or something that's more analytical. But if I'm writing even a personal essay or something for Moms Never Time to Write or for the book or something, um, I just want to be somewhere other than this, uh, ideally in my bed, <laughs> which is where ideally I would be all the time. <laughs> um, and... That's quiet. so interesting. I, I find that I have to – I'm one of those people where like I have very um, – my body gets or my body and my mind get primed by certain things and I have like my productive music and which is like my little ambient whatever and and there are certain places where I have to sit which is my like okay seriously we're getting work done now is basically at my desk in the office and if I sit down anywhere else my brain is like "Mm, nope you're not serious forget it we're not turning on definitely in my bed I would be napping (laughs) no I can do it anywhere and I wrote a previous draft of what became this memoir. I wrote it in like doctor's offices waiting for my kids. I would just flip it open. I would do it sometimes on long drives. If I Obviously, if I wasn't the one driving, like if my <laughs> husband was driving or something, um, I can flip it open and just get started really anywhere. But if I know I'm going to have a big, long block of time, um, yeah, I don't need things to be perfect. I prefer to be on a couch or – something comfortable if I'm accessing sort of the more creative side of I am also a couch drafter like revisions podcast work podcast posts all that that's different that's a table or a desk or or but but I'm a couch drafter although I can also draft if please you will let me in a coffee shop Mm -hmm. (laughs) I used to write in coffee shops 
I can write anywhere. I, it doesn't have to be quiet. It doesn't. I can. I can write with the kids. I can write on the playroom floor. I can write anywhere. Yeah. Um. So. I don't even know where. I don't know where to go from here. Um, oh, I know. Let's just talk for a minute before we switch into what we've been reading. Tell us what it's like. Um, how you're feeling about starting this new home for fiction and, and memoir. That's that's what I'm dying lead. to hear about. It is so exciting. It's so cool. It's so fun. Um, I wish. How I, long did you have to keep it secret before you could uh, tell? Before you could spill the beans? Well, I almost started it. Hard. I almost started it about a year ago. Uh, I even had a logo and a different name and a different agreement, like a different arrangement. And at the last minute, I slammed on the brakes and decided not to do it. So I've had it in the back of my head since then. And then it wasn't until honestly this July where I called up Lee and I was like, Lee. It's time. <laughs> Let's do this. Because I had talked to her about doing it a year ago as well. Um, and then again during the pandemic. And she's like, no, no, no. This is not the time. <laughs> yeah, no, not the time. <laughs> so I called her again in July. And by September 14th or 13th, we had announced the company. And we had staffed it up and acquired seven books. And I move really quickly about with everything. I know I keep saying that. But I mean, I don't rush. I just like... I have an idea and then I just do it. And so that's the way we've been doing this business. Um, it's been amazing. Uh, I love our team that we've assembled. I love the books we've acquired. I love the fact that I can say to someone, like, you should write a book, and by the, which I've been saying my whole life to everybody. But now I can, like, do something about it. Like, I can publish their book. And I know I'm going to take really good care of them and that they're going to have a really good experience. And I feel really proud of what I know I'm going to be able to give them. So I just, I, I, yeah, I feel like I've adopted all these, all these little writers and not that they need it. I mean, some are very accomplished, but um, just to be able to use what I've learned, what I've heard, what I want to do differently, mix it up, make it like, I, this whole notion of sort of professionalism is not one that I adopt readily. So we're all like hanging out. We'll be like in my kitchen, hanging out. My team and I just went to LA and we're in our jammies. Like we're in it. We're and we're in it for who we are, not like a work version of ourselves. And so I think it's getting everybody's best parts of them. And I'm so passionate and excited about it. And so is everybody I work with. So there's just so much like Ah, this is so cool. <laughs> so can can we ask what your acquisition vision, like what are you acquiring? What are you excited to publish? You know, what does this vision look like for you? We are going to publish 12 books a year, both memoir and fiction. And our tagline is telling it like it is. We want really great writing with good pacing, um, people writing who want to make a difference by sharing their experience or by sharing the experiences of others, stories that have a great sense of place, either, you know, it could be the Corner Deli or it could be the Canals of Venice, but someplace that takes the readers somewhere and puts them in another environment. It makes them think and feel. Those are the types of books we want. Stories, things that make you not fall asleep while you're reading them late at night when you've been dealing with your four kids all day. So, uh, you know, there's one book that was beautiful that we just read and debated a lot, but I was like, this will not keep anybody awake at the end of the day. It's a, it's beautiful mm. and literary and 
it's just not a Zibby book. It's it's a great book, but it's not for us. So uh, Lee and I have been very clear from the beginning on our shared vision for this whole thing. And so it's very obvious when a book comes in if it's right for us or if it's not. Um, and the main thing is we want to not be able to put it down. So that, right. that's... This is books that keep you awake past bedtime. Yeah. You just... Yeah. I love they, not thrillers necessarily, but and, just like yeah. you want to keep reading them. Books you can't put down. I mean, those are great. <laughs> I love that when you can say, you know, oh, I'm reading this thing and it just, it's a Zibby book. I love the idea that you've got, you know, you have this, um, this idea of what you want and you can just tell when you get it that that's what it is. I love it. Yeah. And you guys are independent. You are not, this is not an imprint. This is you out there, like, uh, adding to the publishing world, not, I guess, sort of not branching off from. The, yeah, well, you know, yeah. an, an imprint is presumably, the, you know, the 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 house that the imprint is within was going to publish X hundred books in a year, and so an imprint is probably some chunk of those. But you're like twelve additional books, right? Which is why I didn't want to do that many uh, that many books, mm-hmm. because how many books can we all really read? every month to begin with. And I felt like they're not going to just read my books, right? No, everybody else is not going to stop reading all the other books. So one a month seemed very realistic to me. And I wanted to be a great book and worth their time. And they and, and it lets you put a full team behind it. Yeah. And we can start doing things months ahead. I mean, we have a year, more than a year before our first book comes out. So we have plenty of time to make partnerships and do things differently. And we're establishing this whole team of book ambassadors, if anybody's interested in joining from all over the country. You can go to Zibby Books and learn more about it. Oh, but- yeah, this is really interesting. Tell us for a minute just about the, the book uh, the book ambassadors. Yeah, so I really think that particularly now, everybody is looking for something that they feel passionately about, that they want to be connected and part of something a little bit bigger and helping build things. And so all the people who have been like, I want to be a part of this, and even who haven't, I want them all to be able to be a part of it. So we've created this thing, the Book Ambassadors, and in the form, it asks you to list your local indie. And we have now, we're going to make a little map thing because it's so exciting. We have indies from towns, big and small, all over the country, like hundreds of of women have already signed up. And we're going to have regular Zooms and give them tools and materials to have events or host book clubs of their own with our books or you know we're going to do this big campaign to get people into bookstores more in 2022 which I don't know if I should even talk about yet because we're still you know working on it we will love it whatever it's going to be really cool I'm really excited about it so the book ambassadors are going to help champion that and We'll send them, I don't know, some fun swag or something, and they'll feel a part of it, and they'll be able to share ideas and meet like-minded people and be in bookstores and help with writing goals and all of the stuff. Um, so we're really excited to to harness the, the power of all the book lovers out there who want to be involved with changing things up. And they're going to serve as, as sort of ambassadors for, for the brand and the Zibby book within their community. Yes, yeah, which I mean, that's that is that is among the many cool and different things. 
that's been one of the really cool things is is watching there's I'm in this very very small town in Vermont and there's a very active for bookstagrammer here in town so not only is she you know online and doing her bookstagram thing online but she's you know the keeper of the of the free little library here in town yes. and she's like our and I love the idea that you can be um both an influencer sort of in the larger sort of internet sense and in your own local sense. I love, I love that idea. It is very cool. Well, let's take a minute, breathe, and then we'll talk about what we've been reading lately. All right. Zibby, we always love for our guests to go first. So I, I know you've been reading, you know, a couple dozen things at, at a time, <laughs> but pick one or two or three and tell us what you have really been loving lately. Um, well, what I have been reading is Katie Couric's Going There, and I'm about two-thirds of the way done. Uh, I write a weekly column for Katie Couric Media now uh, with book recommendations, but it's really fascinating, and I look forward to going to bed and reading little bits of it each night, so I'm really enjoying that. And then each week I read whatever's going to be on the podcast. Um, I'm reading this really lovely book called Hungry Hill by Eileen Patricia Curran, which I I was just like, I don't know. This just looks good to me. I kind of, I, I, I really like reading books that might have not gotten attention that they deserve or have fallen off the radar, but actually sound really good and the writing's really good. So I'm reading that. Um, the Husbands by Chandler Baker. And a, one of my oldest girlfriends wrote a book called The Last Season, a historical romance, which is not my typical genre, but uh, she it's really good. And I'm doing an event with her soon, so I'm reading that. How about you, Jess? Got anything good I, here? I do have something fantastic, actually. Uh, this little hotcake landed in my uh, in my mailbox yesterday, no, day before yesterday, and I'm about a third of the way through, and it's Celeste Headley, who we've had on the show before, oh. her new book called Speaking of Race, Why Everybody Needs to Talk About Racism and How to Do It. What's so great about this book is she's taken all of her amazing skills as an interviewer, all of her amazing skills as a, as a um, communicator, and applied them to the topic of talking about race. And Celeste is... She is a self-described, quote, light-skinned black Jew. She confronts you on the very first page with the fact that you are probably, you are biased and that you are, if you grew up in this country, you are sexist. And so let's start from there and let's figure out how to actually talk about it rather than freaking out when someone brings that up. And it's, I'm learning so much from this book. I, th I think it's going to not only help me think differently about sort of my bias, but help me be a better communicator about it. So I'm really, I'm going to force this on everyone in my family, I think. You waved that at the screen. We can all see each other, listeners. I know that you can't, yes. but when you waved it, I thought it said speaking of rage, which would <laughs> still work. <laughs> which is appropriate too. No, speaking of race. And as we know, Celeste Headley, fantastic. We love her. Yeah. Yeah. The, the direct, but warm and friendly, if that makes any sense, yes. approach to difficult yeah. topics is definitely Celeste's brand. Yep. Firm and yet oh so gentle and wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, I'm 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 totally out there on a completely different limb with what I have been reading. I just finished a, a novella, which is very unusual for me. I don't usually um, pick those up. It's called A Spindle Splintered by Alex um, E. Harrow. She is the author of the um, the Once and Future Witches, which I think I talked about on an earlier podcast, and I loved. And A Spindle Splintered is a completely strange, 
retelling of the Sleeping Beauty myth that is amazing and feminist and stunning. But the thing that really gets me about it, Zibby, you were talking about how you kind of know a, a Zibby book's voice from the beginning. This is such a voicey book. I've been working with a lot of authors lately um, who are trying to get their drafts ready for submission to agents. And every once in a while, somebody will come across my desk. We're literally the first three pages. And you're like, yeah, yeah, agents are going to respond to this because you have the voice. And this book, it has the voice. Like you pick it up and you're just like, okay, yeah, I don't even care about Sleeping Buddha, but I am there with you to take this trip. So I love it. I recommend what can I ask you, KJ? I love thinking about, um, I love watching people shop. And since you don't normally pick up a novella, um, what made you pick this book up since it's not your no, your normal fodder? Oh, I loved uh, The Once and Future Witches so much that I oh, just okay. basically set out to buy uh, whatever she had written next. Although that said, um, then I looked at what she had written next. And when I saw it was a retelling of Sleeping Beauty, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Um, so then this was one, the best way to buy a book is to go in the store, open it to a random page, read mm -hmm. a paragraph and then decide, like, do I want to keep reading? Like when you pulled it up and put it back on the shelf, are you sad? It's, it's just like what Zibby was saying, yeah. you know, is it going to keep you up past your bedtime? This was one that like, you know, you're putting it back, but you're going, oh, but. I kind of want more of that. Um, yeah. So, I'm the yeah. creepy cre I'm the creepy creeperson in the bookstores watching other people browse books because I'm always so curious about what makes someone pick a book up or what makes someone put a book back down because I had the unfortunate experience once of watching someone pick up one of my books <laughs> and pick it up and browse and sort of just open it to a random page and decide not to get it and I wanted to go up to them and shake them and say but why why did you not read my, buy my book I'm but so anyway proud that I love that didn't. stuff I know, I know. It took a great. I think I, I think I would have gone over. I think I would have said something. I don't think I could have. I, I don't think I could have been a shrinking violet in that situation. I would have been like, "I'm really sorry to bother you, but uh, that's just my I have no such problem um, inserting myself into into that. If process it had been my book, she books. would have chased the person yeah. down, screaming, "But buy this! No, yeah. no, buy yeah. this!" Yeah. No, I, 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 all the time I look over at people and they'll have a book open. If it's something I've really loved, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to get that book. I'm, I'm one of those, those people. So oh, I was in the bookstore the other day and the person is asking at the front desk for the Midnight Library and the guy is very distracted. I'm sure he would have known because um, it's my favorite indie and they're excellent. But he's, she's like, I looked on the fiction and I looked here and I'm watching and I know where it is in the new fiction. But finally, I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> he sort of dangled it overhead. She's like, oh! Oh, you might as help. well just start working there. I, every day, I'm like, no, no, no. That's really, it only sounds fun. It only yeah. sounds fun. Yeah, when when does the Zibby bookstore open? <laughs> um, I looked into that. I looked into that before I did the publishing company, and um, I'm not sure. I still, it's still a goal, but... I have. I don't want to be in like one place that much. I like to move all around, mm. and so yep. I don't pop know. up the zippy pop up. Every Zibby once pops. in a while, KJ and I could be driving around somewhere, and we'll see some place that's that's for sale, and you know we're both having the same thought, yeah. which is, is that yes. a good spot for a bookstore? <laughs> I don't yeah. know, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That is still yeah. how we're I walk around New York City. I'm still yeah. looking. I'm like, ooh, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. So. There was a historic house that was up for sale in our town, uh, the town I used to live in a while ago, and it was in sort of a prime location in the little village. And every time, every time, I'm like, 
Oh, the books you could display in those windows. It would be so good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another episode. Do we want to <laughs> run a bookstore? We can have my favorite bookstore owner on and I will t- and she can tell us as she does to me almost every day. Yeah. No, no, we don't. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Zibby. Tell you so the much. listeners what's the best place to find you. I'm on Instagram at Zibby Owens, Z-I-B-B-Y-O-W-E-N-S and ZibbyOwens.com. All right. And moms don't have time to read books, the podcast. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't forget. Absolutely. Sorry. Links to all of it. Sleeping on the marketing job here. So, (laughs) yeah, it's not our best thing either, but that's what happens when you do something for love. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys all so much for listening today, Zibby. Thank you so much for being here. And until next week, everyone, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Oh.